The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. Today's guest is one of our amazing backstage creators, Utah Opera costume director Cece Swalling. We recruited this native Alaskan to the Utah Opera team from Utah Valley University's costume shop. Prior to her pandemic move to Utah, Cece was based in Washington, D.C., where her employers included the Richmond Ballet, Arena Stage, the American Shakespeare Center, the Shakespeare Theater Company, Ford's Theater, the Washington National Opera, and the Washington Ballet. Cece has an MFA in costume design and technology from the University of Virginia. She's a real find. A belated welcome several months later to the Utah Opera family, Cece. Thank you. Happy to be here. So great to have you. I've been dying to talk to you because you have one of those jobs that really fascinates me. So let's dig in. How does a person come to costume design as a profession? What led you personally down the path to such a cool job? Uh, it helps to really like to dress up. <laughs> um, so I started sewing at a very young age and my mother was actually a director when I was growing up. So I've been in the theater industry my entire life. Um, and just as I got older, I realized that I did not get as much satisfaction from the performance side of things, um, but I really get a lot of satisfaction from making beautiful dresses. You're like a legacy, though. You've, you come to it through blood, right? Yes, the very business. much. Yeah. I think that that's something that um, young people who go into a performing arts degree program don't realize how many support staff jobs there are. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I was actually I had a conversation with my mom yesterday talking about when I was younger, I had no idea how many different jobs are in the costume shop. I kind of thought you're either a costume designer or you're nothing. And um, it's just really, it was really fascinating for me to understand how broad and deep the scope of the costume shop staff is. What are those jobs? I'm curious now. I mean, I know what they are, but I'm not really sure what they do. Yeah, um, there's a ton. Um, so there's the cutter draper. They are in charge of making mostly dresses, but they um they pattern all of the dresses and the bodices. They drape the fabric over the mannequins. To yeah, get... Just so you know, we're not buying Simplicity number 4809 to make no. a dress for Traviata. No, never. No, <laughs> no, never. Um, my cutter draper, she is in charge of making sure that we make all of those very beautiful dresses. Um, and then I have my tailor, and he is in charge of making all the men's suits and tailoring to them to their bodies. Um, I have a first hand. Um, and she is in charge of taking all of the patterns, either from my tailor or my cutter draper, and she begins to put everything together. And then I have stitchers, and they are the ones who kind of do the final stitching on the projects, um, whether it's doing side seams or hems or putting on the trim. So, yeah, so there's a lot of jobs. Oh, and I have my craft person, and my craft person whose main job is hats and armor and shoes and accessories distressing of costume very much so yes that doesn't mean the person is upset that just means we're making it look worn <laughs> sometimes distressing can be distressing though yes have you done all those things or do you do you come to this from a specific avenue in the costume shop world you know i thought about it yesterday i've literally done every single one That's of those incredible. jobs yeah so i was when i was at washington national opera i started in the craft room as the crafts person or as a craftsperson, I should say. Um, and then I was a stitcher for the Washington Ballet and Arena Stage and Ford's Theater. Um, 
yeah, I've done costume design, costume assistant design, wardrobe, which is our backstage staff for the costumes. Um, yeah, so I've done literally every single job, and I just was working at a suit shop as a tailor. Yeah, you're bringing a real comprehensive experience to your leadership, though. That's great. Yeah, I find it really super helpful because it means I can have really good conversations with my staff on, like, I know how to how to do the thing, so we can have really good in-depth conversations on how to achieve something. And I'm sure it helps with trust amongst your staff as well, that they know that you have done what you're asking them to do. Yeah, I think so. That's kind of the feedback I, I definitely get from them of, you know, and what's really great is there's not just one way to do a project. So it means that there's a lot of brainstorming in my shop. It means we're often sitting back and trying to think through what is the benefit of doing it one way versus the other. Well, so you mentioned Washington National Opera. You did have some experience with that that um, opera company in DC, but it wasn't a major part of your life, the opera art form. So what brought you to Utah opera and to this art form in particular? Uh, well, I got a phone call. <laughs> I got a phone call asking for me to apply for this position. Um, and that's really what got me here to the Utah opera. But yeah, I'll say, um, uh, Washington National Opera was sort of my first job out of just under undergrad. Um, and that was a really great experience, but I didn't know anything about opera at all. I've never been I had never been to the opera at that point. I don't couldn't tell you a single name of a single opera. Um, and so since I've been here, a lot of my time has been playing catch up a little bit of looking into all the operas. I got a subscription to the Metropolitan Opera's um, subscription thing online. Right, um, all those HD and... Exactly. And so I spend a lot of my free time now, like kind of at least watching them and trying to figure out, you know what am I doing here? <laughs> That's fascinating because I mean, I just sort of came to it quite organically. And so imagining having to sort of catch up in the middle. Yes. Well, and you know, like learning how to pronounce them. <laughs> I have no idea. We're very um, patient and, with CC at our meetings. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure compared to your former life in more regular theater, dramatic, dramatic theater, there are a lot of things that are familiar, some that are different in terms of how you approach them from the, from the costume shop. So what are you learning? Like specifically, what are you learning in opera? Uh, first and foremost, the size of operas. Like, right. so when we did Tosca, that is probably the largest show I've been in charge of with 70 people on stage. That's they all have to be dressed and they all have to be dressed and they all have to have some form of clothing. <laughs> um, but it was just like the sheer amount of it was absolutely wild. And of course I was like, Oh my God, that was so big. And my, my supervisor goes, well, that's a normal opera. <laughs> um, and so that was, I would say I'm learning a lot about what it takes sheer number wise to put on an opera. You know, a lot of the nuances of how to make beautiful dresses. Yes, absolutely. I, that's the same. Um, but just how to, like, how do I get and coordinate 70 people coming into my shop all at once and getting fit and then getting everything ready to go on stage. It's just, and typically once the main chorus or the main um, singers show up, we get two week turnaround on that. So it's, I mean, you are running the whole time. I want to hit on a point you just made because I'm not sure many people realize exactly what you're faced with in a production that size. It's not just the principals. You've got yeah. the chorus, you've got the supers, you've got kids. Yeah. Kids. Mm -hmm. 70 people is probably not an atypical number for you to have to 
figure out how to dress people, right? Yes, yes. Um, and like I said, that's definitely what I learned on on Tosca. Um, for instance, with the children's course, at some point I had them all come into the costume shop at the same time. And I go, okay, line them up from shortest to tallest. Right. And we're going to throw ropes on them like all at once. Like a class picture. Like literally, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The upcoming season at Utah Opera has something for everyone. From romance and tragedy to family-friendly comedy, plus a modern opera about Steve Jobs, the entrepreneur who changed life as we know it. Watch it happen live at Utah Opera. Tickets starting at just $30 are available now at utahopera.org. So you talked about um, principal fittings as well. Those people don't live in Salt Lake City for the most part. You know, you can catch the chorus a little bit earlier, but what's happening with those principals? I mean, are you, you're, not, you're not making a, a costume from scratch when they show up. So talk about that well, process. Not always. <laughs> I was going to say, not always. Ideally. But on Tosca. <laughs> That's true. On Tosca, actually. our lead actress got all new, all new costumes. Um, and that, that was actually a thing that really made it a whirlwind was um, there were some both practical and design elements that went into her costume, um, both for quick changes and for the singer's comfortability for what the director wanted to achieve on stage. And so, you know, the first day of production, I had four options for her costumes. Um, so it was like three that could be act one and two that could be act five, uh, two that could be act two. Um, in my talking through with the director to be like, look at it and, and pick basically and mm -hmm. tell me which way to go. And then it was a mad dash to the end of putting it all fully together, getting her in for the fitting, trying to finish everything up and make it accessible for them because there was a quick change uh, on stage. And so making sure that they could have enough time to rehearse in it and, and get through that quick change safely. So much problem solving. Yes. Other things that keep you up late. Absolutely. Yeah. I have nightmares. <laughs> in a in a perfect world though, are you in touch with these folks ahead of time doing virtual sort of discussions about fittings and all that? I mean, you, you still have you have to sort of lay hands on people to really know what you what you need to do, but Yes, I certainly do have um before beforehand I talk with the director and the actress or or actor. Yeah. Um and I discuss kind of you know, what their needs are, but there's just so much that art that my job can't really do until I get them into the room, you know, to talk about, um, you know, the comfortability of the dress on you to talk about how you're going to get in and out of it. Um, any particular things that are going to bother you about it, whether it's scratchy or too tight or too tall or whatever. Um, and so, and then also what I have always done with working with directors, um, and this is not a, a slight at all is just, you know, it, it, what we do is very, very visual and computers just can't always give the exact information that I need to give over the computer, whether it's color or texture. And so it's not until they really come into my costume shop that they really know what's actually going on. You keep saying the word comfort, which is really interesting to me because mm -hmm. it's not just about how a person looks or how they move. Their mm -hmm. comfort is really important too, right? Yes. Yes. Um, a lot of my job is about making sure that people can do their job, right? It's like, so, you know, with singers, I have an additional, you know, space, not issue, but a space consideration in the costumes of making sure that they can take their full breaths, right. that they can achieve their job. Right. Comfort figures in another way. So there's been a lot of conversation, which is, you know, 
long overdue about um, gender positivity, about body positivity. And I'll share a little anecdote. Um, we were doing a concert at uh, one of the local luxury hotels, and the wish was for all of us that performed to be in Traviata-era dresses. So that was a new thing for me that I had to be fitted for a costume. And I think you remember that first yeah. that first email exchange. I was so anxious about it because I have my own body positivity issues. And the thing is, when I went in there, first of all, your response was, there are no, all bodies are beautiful. And that was just her message from the beginning. And then her second, the second experience was I went in to be measured and fit. And it, it was so comforting. I just didn't find it anxiety producing at all. So talk about what you brought in that area to our costume shop. I see signs. I mean, there's just so much change in that area in the industry that you're reflecting in your costume shop. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I would say that that is a, a really important, um, ideal for me in the costume shop is this idea that I, I don't want to be part of anything that has anything to do with body shaming. I understand us as individual human beings all walk into a room and we have our own feelings about our bodies and how they look or how they operate. But when it comes to costumes, it's really super important to me. Um, you know, not every character is beautiful. And I've had that conversation too. It's like, hey, I'm really sorry. Your character has to be covered in mud and that's just the way it is. <laughs> but, you know, I want you to feel comfortable in your body to do your job. And I am not there to participate in any sort of societal norms that say your body is bad because all bodies are good bodies. And, you know, that's just not a helpful dialogue. How do you get people to trust you when you're in a situation where people are literally in their underwear sometimes? And how do you get them to trust you if you are making them feel bad about something that really can't be changed within, you know, the week that we get to fit costumes, right? I'm not here to say, you know, anybody has to change their body, but it's not going to be possible in the time frame that I have anybody in there. And so I'm just there to have a healthy, open dialogue about how can I get you on stage where you feel confident to do your job at the very best level. Because everybody comes in with, in a different place. And when you're fitting 70 people with 70 different feeling sets of feelings, it's a lot. Yes. Costume um, director and therapist. <laughs> it really feels like that a lot of the time. I will say um, opera is a lot easier um, than when I used to work in musical theater where, I mean, um, what happens in the dance community when it comes to discussions of the body is a whole other level. And I think that that's where my precursory training in that was, was, you know, dancers truly are athletes um, and they are expected to do crazy thing. Like I look at some of my dancer friends and, you know, they jump up and they do cartwheels and they do splits. I'm like, I couldn't do one of those without hurting something. So I really want to make sure that everybody feels supported again, to do those things. Um, and I'm not, I don't want to double down on negative feelings in that regard. You know, the industry, the opera world has had to reckon with this from the critical press side of things in the last decade. Uh, it's long overdue as far as I'm concerned. And I'm just thrilled that from the first moments, the first touch points that these artists have with a company here, you're taking good care of them because I think it's all of a piece. It can't just be something that we solve in the press. It's got to be taken care of backstage too. And it sounds like you're doing that. And I, yeah. You know, I, I recognize, you know, it's very hard to change society and it's yeah. hard to change what has already existed. But if I can make a difference one actor at a time, one singer at a time, 
you know, then I'm I'm at least trying. And, you know, I really have so much respect for what these singers do. I mean, again, this is something I'm not remotely capable of doing. And they walk on stage and they make these big, beautiful sounds and they make it look so, so easy. Um, and so I just want them to feel that comfortability when I'm involved. Maybe use the little world you're helping create to influence the real one that's on the outside. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Who said it was? Was it Connie who said, be the change? Yeah. 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 It's, yeah be the change you want to see. I think before we let you go, we have to talk about the fun stuff because I'm sure you've experienced some crazy stuff in your history. Maybe even before you came here, what are some of the most amazing stories you can share? Malfunctions from your past. What are some great oh. costume shop horror stories? So I would say the the horrors of the costume world don't happen in the costume shop, though they can. They happen backstage mm -hmm. because it's when you're moving quickly and when thing you know you have dancers and people are running on and off that's where that's where the magic happens <laughs> um and you know i re i very distinctly remember when i was very very young and i was just out of college and um this young woman was in happy days the musical and she you know did one of those flip things and she ripped entirely the back out of her <laughs> dress. And I, she ran downstairs. She was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And I started hand sewing her into her dress to get her back on stage within, I don't know, 20 seconds. And I was oh, like, wow. we can do this. Um, yeah, so that was a fun one. Um, there was another time, oh my gosh. Um, so I was working on Hairspray the Musical and our designer decided that the Tracy's last scene where she's supposed to be, you know, the disco girl. He turned her dress into an actual disco ball with pieces of mirror and hot glue. And she was a, a plus size actress and they had over calculated her size. So when she got the dress on, it was far, far too big and it wasn't flattering at all. And I'm like, well, that's not going to fly. We got to take it in. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there with a steamer peeling off pieces of glue, of glue and mirror off of this dress so that I could take it in and it's sticky and it's melting everywhere. And I'm just, then I try to like shove it through my sewing machine and it's getting stuck and she's in the background, she's crying and it's a whole dramatic thing, but we did achieve it. She looked beautiful and she felt confident and that was my goal. But those are the moments where you're lost in the middle of it, where you're thinking, this is not the dream I had of my performing career. <laughs> no, it is. I never guessed this was what happened. I know. It's like that joke about um, the guy who shovels elephant poop at the circus. <laughs> what? And leave showbiz? <laughs> well, well, I mean, we can't, we can't top that. That's a great. Well, uh, we have to try. But we do have one more question that we always want to ask our opera guests. Yeah. What subject, real or imagined, would you like to see made into an opera? Um, well, it has to be Star Wars. Star Wars is already operatic. So Star Wars, the opera. I would pay hundreds of dollars to even see three Star Wars operas, one for each original movie. Really? <laughs> so you're talking about not prequels. You're talking about originals. Four, the five, original, and six. Yes, yep. four, five, six. Yes. Okay. It be the Hope Ring and Return of, of Jedi. Era. Yes, that is, that is exactly what I want. <laughs> Love it. I can't well, believe that hasn't been done. I mean, well, you're, you're talking to two 
and if we can include our producer, three, we should include our producer. We should always include our producer. Yeah. Um, you're talking to three major Star Wars nerds, so mm -hmm. we're on board. Carol and I were just talking about the Boba Fett series before you walked yeah, in. So. That was because I had a Mandalorian or a, a Grogu Band-Aid on a paper yeah. cut. Yep. That's how that came about. So yeah. here, again, you're seeing the magic. This oh. is the magic of the podcast. That, <laughs> and you just created one of the best tangents of our history as a as a co-host team right now, Carol. You're welcome. Star Wars, welcome. the opera trilogy, a ring for our times. That sounds fantastic that's what i want before we let you go cc where can everyone find you online yes um i can be found on my personal website at costumesbycc.com and i go by the same instagram handle costumes by cc and this is c-e-e-c-e-e -E -E -E. yes ma'am well cc i know you're in the middle of a crazy day i'm so grateful you took the time to come and join us to record today well thank you for having me and thank you all, everyone at home, for listening and for those on the go, listening from their cars. If you haven't yet, it would really help us if you would rate, subscribe, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us get new listeners. And be sure to visit usuo.org for information about upcoming performances. We want to see you at an opera so you can see CC's work. We hope to see you there very soon. Until then, I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. Thanks for listening. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. The Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.